My name is Miriam Trujillo. And I'm Nicholas Rodriguez. Welcome to another episode of Doral Academy's STEM Break. Our guest, Ms. Ray, works on global tech policy and digital readiness at Intel Corporation, a corporation that leads in innovation ranging from manufacturing, microprocessors, and chips for the computers we use to emerging as pioneers in the fields of AI. So, Ms. Ray, what, what, what's your educational background? Like, what, what have you done? Yeah, so thank you both so much for having me. Um, I am a, a recent graduate uh, from university. I graduated from Duke University in 2020 um, with a double major in public policy and economics. Uh, and I concentrated on foreign policy and international development uh, during my time there. And I also had a background in French language studies. That's awesome. So. How did your background in public policy really aid you in obtaining your responsibilities at Intel? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I had been focusing my studies on um, understanding, you know, foreign policy, national security issues, um, and also trying to understand um, international economic development. And so um, there at Duke University, um, the Stanford School of Public Policy is where I was completing my major. Um, and one of my professors, who was David Hoffman at Duke, was starting an initiative called the Cyber Policy Program. And so it wasn't until uh, the end of my college experience, my senior year, actually, that I realized that the intersection of, you know, these policy related interests that I had uh, was increasingly being driven by new innovation in the world of technology. Um, and so I decided to get involved in the cyber policy program at the Sanford School. And um, through my, you know, uh, curriculum and and the exposure that I got through that program, I actually learned about a brand new cyber policy fellowship happening in the government affairs group at Intel um, through my professor who uh, is also or was also um, at Intel at the time. And so just through uh, those connections, I, I heard about, you know, what the, this position was supposed to be and, and you know, just kind of adding um a, a new generation and kind of like a fresh perspective on what does effective cyber policy making look like? What does, uh, you know, technology innovation mean for the public sector, for governments, right? And how does a leader like Intel Corporation um, influence that policy on a global level? Um, and so I was very excited about kind of taking this newfound interest in, you know, technology policy and and creating a, a job out of that. And so the experiences I've had since then have been really educational for me and, and um, introduced me to a, a whole realm of policy that I didn't even really, you know, ex knew existed before. Right. Yeah. And since we are coming into a new age, we have all of this new emerging technology and people might not know how that affects politics as well. So I think that that's that's truly amazing what Intel is doing and your job is is kind of like that niche part of combining that public policy with the specialization in the STEM fields. And besides that, how how would you say that Intel is different than other other technology companies? Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. I mean, Intel is a technology company that is, you know, also a manufacturing company, right? Um, because we 
in terms of the supply chain of all the technology that we use day to day, Intel is kind of at the at the very beginning of that supply chain, creating the chips that we use in every piece of technology in the modern world. And so, uh, you know, the space that we occupy as a technology leader is very different from, say, the Microsoft or Facebook or Google of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, the space that they're occupying, the challenges that they're experiencing are very different from the types of challenges that Intel is experiencing. Because um, from a policy perspective, you know, Intel's main concern as a company um, is delivering chips, you know, that are higher performing um, and equipped to power the new emerging technologies that, you know, uh, are being used globally and how we can do that through effective supply chain, right? Um, And as we, you know, have witnessed over the last two years, huge events like COVID can really disrupt the supply chain. And so for Intel as a technology company, the question is, okay, how do we engineer solutions to, you know, those supply chain holdups? And and to what extent does that mean interacting or working with or collaborating with governments, right? Um, Because it is an international company and and we're, you know, our customers are all over the world. Awesome. And in Intel, I know that in policy, ethics is also a very big part of it. So having to deal with kind of like Um, these connections between groups. Have you had the opportunity to work with these um, other governmental agencies at Intel? Yeah, so you're saying external government agencies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, like you said, ethics and, and you know, strategy around these technologies is a very key thing for Intel. Um, we don't believe in just creating technology for the sake of creating technology and, you know, boosting numbers. We really care about the impact that our technology has on, on you know, human lives. And um, we're all about enriching lives. So uh, how do we do that? You know, it takes a lot of, yeah, understanding of who our end customers are. Um, and helping to inform um, public sector, you know, and community leaders who create the policy or momentum around how these technologies are adopted and used. Um, and so a very key part of my job since I started at Intel uh, two years ago has become creating a program called our Intel Digital Readiness for Leaders program, which is actually all about educating government officials from various different government agencies all around the world uh, where we're doing our work on emerging technology topics. Um, so whether that's explaining what AI is and demystifying AI as a you know technical concept, or describing you know relevant use cases that the public sector can utilize to adopt AI or push AI you know investment and skilling, um, or even talking about what on a high level strategy around AI should look like right in in the coming thirty years, um, and and all of this happens under the umbrella of the Intel twenty thirty what we call our Rise Goals. And um, that is kind of a big framework for how Intel is pushing ourselves to be an ethical, sustainable, and responsible company overall. Um, and uh, you know, as a as a leader and as an ecosystem, you know, partner, how how we can push ourselves to be the best. And so, um, a lot of that does have to do with working with different types of government agencies, whether it's Department of Education, talking about you know how do we bring AI to schools, um, whether that's community colleges or to middle schools, high schools and teach students and prep them with the right AI skills, right, to enter the workforce because we know that the workforce is changing. Um, 
And sometimes this looks very different. Sometimes we're working with agencies like the government of, or the Department of Agriculture, um, uh, you know, Department of Health and understanding how they can implement AI and, and invest in AI, you know, for their own work and how they're transforming their industries. So, yeah. And I want to thank you as not only a student, but as a citizen, as a young person in this world, because I believe that, um, and we also believe that here in Dural Academy, the main goal, the reason why we're doing this whole podcast is to educate students about the different topics that they might not be comfortable with. And you having that job is truly inspiring for us and we wanna thank you so much. And I saw that tie um, of education when you also worked with the Community Empowerment Fund those ties of bringing uh, what is financial justice and racial justice to your community and Durham. Um, so here in Doral, we're thinking about creating a financial literacy club to do the same thing. So what would be kind of your recommendations um, as a student looking to educate themselves more about personal finance? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. So I really appreciated my time at the Community Empowerment Fund. Um, and not just because I gained an understanding of, you know, financial literacy and, and what that means, because we're not often taught that in school, um, but also because I understood kind of structural things that go into our financial system that can be limiting factors for certain people, um, you know, and what, what difficulties can be created for communities uh, who don't have access to our financial institutions the same way that others do, you know, who are born with a certain level of privilege or knowledge or resources. Um, and so I would say that the few things that I learned that I think are really important for someone who wants to be, you know, financially adept uh, are one, understanding what your credit score is and how to build that up. Your credit score is a very limiting thing later on in life when you're applying for loans, credit cards, you know, anything that you need to operate, uh, even when you're getting your first apartment, you know, and, and things like that. So understanding your credit score, understanding the factors that affect it and getting started early on building up your credit score uh, at a young age is, is a huge thing. Um, apart from that, you know, understanding that uh, financial independence is a really important thing to have kind of, you know, as a priority. So um, I've learned a lot about what it means to, um, you know, build wealth, you know, so I'm now finally making money, not a student anymore. And, um, you know, I have a checking and a savings account, but also understanding, you know, where I should be putting my money and, and kind of how you um, divide up your income into living expenses, short-term saving, and then what you're putting into wealth management and increasing your actual wealth, right? Um, so I learned how to open, you know, like a stock portfolio account for the first time ever about a year ago and have been, you know, uh, really for me it's all mutually traded funds I'm nothing crazy just etfs and uh you know slow consistent growth over time and of course it all depends on your goals and how interested you are um but that's that's a really big thing as well yeah um to shed more light on on your technological aspects because financial is really important to all of us and it's really interesting that the fact that you, you're so diverse in what you do you have you have so many um, perspectives to offer, but focusing more on the technological, how did you get in, involved in the field of AI? Like, why did it interest you? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I spoke about this a little bit earlier. I think that 
you know, my interests span economic development, political development, and the empowerment of communities, right? And I think that technology, especially technologies like artificial intelligence, are already, you know, very prevalent in our day-to-day lives, but they also have the capacity to accelerate that type of transformation of communities and really create effective solutions to problems. Um, And, you know, for that reason, AI as a technology really just interested me, you know, piqued my interest in that way. Um, But as a person with a policy background, the other part of this was, okay, so AI is taking over a lot of our world, you know, what should we be doing to kind of make sure that it's taking over our world in the right way, in an equitable way, you know, in in a way that um, isn't promoting discriminatory practices, you know, because as we've seen, AI can be harmful as well, depending on, you know, the data it's fed or what its intention is and how it's applied in the world and the populations, right, that it's supposed to serve or um, can be biased towards or against. And so there's a lot of questions right now in, you know, the AI community about how do we tackle these things, especially from a policymaker's perspective? How do we get our policymakers to create the right laws to ensure, right, that this technology is an empowering tool and an accelerating tool and not creating, you know, harsh inequality in our systems? And so it was really, you know, the intersection of my policy background that made me consider, you know, AI as a field that I'd want to pursue from that perspective and, and, and trying to figure out answers to those questions. And you, you did talk about like some of some of the issues that could, that could arise, but what, what more in depth, what are your thoughts on like the implications and also the solutions as your perspective, obviously as a policymaker to the AI issues with AI? And like some examples are, you know, recently deep baking and, and mm-hmm. more recently, not, not more of an issue, but another product like the Dolly Mini that has shown, you know, image generation of, ma- of making images. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, thought exercise and I can't pretend to have any of these answers. Um, um, but, you know, there's there's a lot. And I think what you bring up with deep fakes is very interesting because what we've realized is as we improve our AI algorithms, you know, Obviously, part of this is intended. We want it to be incredibly accurate at replicating, you know, human intelligence. But then what are the consequences of that? And how can we validate, uh, you know, the the answers that our AI gives? And how do we how do we fact check that, especially when it goes out into the public and, you know, can impact people who don't have the same amount of background? And I think this brings me a little bit back to the point of, you know, emphasizing the importance of skilling everyone on the basics of what artificial intelligence is. How does it work? You know, how does it create these things that then people, you know, see on social media and stuff when it comes to something like a deep fake? Like, how do you address that? I mean, you have to have some basic understanding of what an AI algorithm is, right? And and how what the process for deep fakes being created are. Um, so, you know, the term digital readiness that that my program is all about is about three different things. The first is developing skills on technical concepts. Um, and so within AI, you know, like what does machine learning and deep learning mean? What are convolutional uh, neural networks, right? What are these actual terms? What does that mean? How do you practice and use those? 
either as a technical or a non-technical person, right? Because the idea is here, we're trying to democratize this knowledge. You don't have to be a developer or an engineer or a future coder to, to you know, have a basic understanding of these things. I, I'm not a coder, right? Or anyone with a STEM background. But that, you know, technical aspect is really important. But what's equally important is the trust, that we build into, you know, the technologies that we create. And so, you know, giving people benchmarks for, okay, this is, you know, the parameters of what uh, a good AI algorithm or a good AI looks like, you know, responsible AI, what we call ethical AI, what are the principles of responsible AI? And, and you know, giving people an idea of how does bias in data play into, you know, um, AI algorithms, uh, how AI can be used adversarially. It's just so people have an understanding of, you know, what's out there and to be more alert and be more aware. And I think we're seeing this in all types of ways, right? With the advent of social media, just tracking like what real, what is real and what is not real. Um, and you'll see it in younger generations that, you know, I mean, we can be more vulnerable, but we can also be more adept at figuring out what's fake because we understand the technology. Right. And so there's a utility in getting, you know, all potentially affected people up to that same level of skill and understanding and, and being able to decipher, OK, what's real, what's not real. Um, and I'll just end, you know, by saying that deep fakes, the dolly, like these things are, um, you know, happening because people are starting to understand AI as a tool and, you know, configuring it to be used adversarially, right? Um, I think what's really important is to create a system where, um, you know, again, this goes back to policy, like, how are we, you know, regulating that? How are we addressing when uh, these types of technologies are being used or being created for these purposes um, that, that are hurtful? And, you know, what kind of regulation or principle should we be operating under? And that takes a lot of conversation and a lot of, you know, collaboration uh, amongst different experts. Um, and it, it's a work in progress, right? We're working on it. The, the AI community, which is much more skilled than I could even begin to uh, identify as, is, you know, doing a lot of work on this. And so it's really important to continue having these types of conversations. democratizing this kind of education, what are some resources that Intel uh, provides for these students or for these people that are interested in learning about AI? It's a great question. So there are various programs that Intel um, has created for AI education for students. Um, and depending on where you're based, um, there's different program opportunities um, <clears throat> for you to engage in um, as far as like open source, you know, uh, resources go. We have a whole library of AI uh, tools and toolkits for students or anyone who's just an AI enthusiast to go and explore, you know, what does coding AI look like? And these are very like self-guided, self-paced uh, you know, lessons that folks can take uh, and understanding, okay, how do I take like a software library and create an AI algorithm out of it? What does that look like? You know, um, and, and it comes with its own data sets, uh, data libraries and all these things that, you know, you can kind of uh, 
play around with, you know, different data sets and things like that. So we have our Intel OpenVINO toolkit, which is a very um, popular one, uh, completely open source, all on Intel uh, architecture. We have our Intel DevCloud uh, resource as well, which similarly is an open source library for AI creation. Um, and we have an entire website, actually, um, the Intel AI Builders website that uh, allows anyone with the enthusiasm and you know curiosity to go and explore these and, and take these lessons and uh, you know get introduced to AI. Um, and then, you know, on a more kind of involved level, uh, the culmination of our AI education programs is our annual Intel AI Global Impact Festival, um, where students can come to a virtual platform to celebrate AI innovation that's already happening by other students and, you know, peers. Um, also to learn about AI from a technical side, um, from, you know, uh, innovation that's happening by Intel technologists and exploring concepts like we were just talking about of like, you know, what does ethical AI look like or how are we building accessibility for certain people with AI and, and you know, concepts like that. Um, and so students can come join the platform to celebrate and learn or even compete with their own AI innovation. So if you're inspired to, you know, create an AI solution to a problem in your community, um, which is, you know, everything that we do should be driven by uh, a desire to make an impact. And so we wanted to create a space for students to be able to showcase what they're doing to create an impact um, and, you know, compete in a global competition and potentially win grand prizes. So um, the Intel AI Global Impact Festival, I just have to put that little plug in there that, you know, if you're an AI enthusiast, you should absolutely join on September 1st uh, and come learn about AI with us. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much for that. And lastly, uh, we want to end it off with asking if a student does wish to follow the path in this field of AI or not necessarily AI, but just going into the STEM field or learning about these new things, what would you recommend for them to do or to get involved in? What are some some tips and advice? Yeah, great question. Is there a specific age group that you're thinking about with this in mind? Uh, just secondary school students. Yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say is that, you know, all these conversations that we're having are so prevalent right now in the world that you can learn so much just by reading every day about what's going on, you know, so um, there are like, uh, different technology focused newsletters and news, you know, like magazines, um, like The Wired and TechCrunch that really condense, right, a lot of these topics in digestible ways for students to learn more about and just for you to build your base of knowledge. Um, and then, you know, join your uh, school's clubs, like cyber clubs or, you know, whatever your STEM clubs may be and find your community of other folks who are, you know, similarly curious because you're going to learn so much from the other geeks around you, if that makes sense. You know, like it's all about finding your geek community. Um, and, 
And also knowing that, you know, because it's technology, we care a lot about making everything accessible. So oftentimes the events where, you know, tech experts come to talk about, um, you know, like STEM developments happening, uh, whether you're interested in gaming, whether you're interested in the policy side of things, you know, whatever your niche may be um, within the technology space, there's a lot of events and things going on that have virtual, you know, panels talking about technology and what the challenges are and what, you know, people are doing to solve those challenges. Um, so seek out institutions, you know, that are having these talks. Um, there are universities who have centers like Harvard has the Berkman Klein Center, um, which is all about uh, cyber issues. Um, and, you know, there's so many different organizations. So I would say get reading, find your geek community and, you know, surround yourself with as, with as many experts as you can. Thank you so much. I, we really appreciate this conversation. It's, it, it's, it's helpful because, because of the fact that you, you, you come from so many areas, you have so much knowledge from, it, it's, it's healthy to, to see it from, from, from everywhere and not just all purely STEM, to see it from, you know, the layman's yeah. perspective. It, it, it's really yeah. vetting. Absolutely. I think that, you know, if I'm going to hope that anyone takes away anything from this is that you do not have to have like a knack for, you know, math or any specific, you know, like STEM skill to be really involved in this. I mean, there are artists who are doing AI right now, you know, I mean, it's pervasive in all aspects of life. So if you're interested, you should go for it. There's no one who was less skilled on it than me. And so, and now here I am. Um, so yeah, you should absolutely feel empowered to, to pursue, you know, your own curiosity in, in AI. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you guys stay tuned. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks Bye. for having me.